Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Let's give it up for the one and only super producer, Mr. Max Williams. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Uh, they call me Ben. Uh, You're (laughs) Noel. Still. Still, we we try to be consistent with our our, our names. I guess we've got that going for us. Personality is a different story, but uh, names remain the same. There we As Led go. Zeppelin might say. They, that was the song that remained the same for them, but you get the we idea. There. Mm-hmm. And today we are bringing a very special story to the world. This is something that one of our colleagues, our pal Maya, had introduced us to a while back. There's a brand new podcast out in the world of iHeart. Uh, if you love Ridiculous History, you're going to love this. And we decided instead of just us talking about it, we would talk to the the source, Noel, the person who made the whole thing happen. Fellow Ridiculous Historians, join us in welcoming Dan Kit Rosser. Oh, wow. What an entrance. Thank you so much. What an introduction. I'm so, I'm very happy to be here. I have to add, too, you didn't do this alone. You have some help from our former super producer, Casey Pegram. That's right. Casey brings it every time. um, I I am merely the announcer, but Casey is the whole football team getting the podcast (laughs) to the end zone. And thus, that's a great sports metaphor. I totally understand what you mean. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. More sports metaphors to come from this homosexual throughout the podcast. 
<laughs> Love it. I learn all my sports metaphors from listening to podcasts on the Ringer Network where they talk about movies but can't help themselves but make everything relating back to sports. So that's how I learned the lingo is from listening to to The Watch. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and um, I am going to recuse myself from the the sports conversations because our, our pal Max has gotten me weirdly into curling and that's the mm-hmm. only thing I know about now. Yeah, it's don't worry, Dan. We've got a two-part episode on it. Everything you want to know. I want to know everything about curling. I could get into, I like being the other guy. I really want to be the other guy. I like sports where there's somebody is definitely the athlete. And then there's like another guy, you know, and that's, (laughs) I feel like that's me. And I appreciate that relationship. Now, now it's, it's interesting that you're talking about team sports and there's a cool analog there with your latest project, Svetlana Svetlana, but uh, what some people might not know is that before you ever got into podcasting, you were an, you were and are an award-winning playwright as well as screenwriter. Um, could you tell us maybe a little bit about uh, who Svetlana is and and how you encountered this story and what what led you to explore this in multiple formats? Well, um, I would be happy to. Um, so, because uh, <laughs> otherwise, okay. <laughs> otherwise, I just, you know, would, I don't know, talk about my dog. So, uh, Svetlana Alieva was the first and only daughter of Joseph Stalin, who your listeners might know as Joseph Stalin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the guy who was Stalin, remember? Um, the Secretary General of the Soviet Union. So, uh, Svetlana was. Um, born in the 20s, uh, it's either 1926 or 1924, forgive me, and she was the pride and joy of Joseph Stalin. Um, and she also had a mother, um, as, you know, uh, it, it tends to happen. And her mother was uh, Nadia Nadezhda Alleluyeva, and uh, she committed suicide when Svetlana was about six years old. Svetlana didn't know this. She was told at the time that it was appendicitis, um, and she would find out 10 years later. And that would sort of start the beginning of sort of a distancing from her dad, but she would still pinball back and forth. And it wasn't until... Um, after- Are you saying Joseph Stalin wasn't entirely honest sometimes? Well, Is that you what- know, okay. <laughs> he was known to be kind of an ass, but not to everybody. <laughs> and in fact, there, uh, you know, Svetlana wrestled with that in her writing. And that's one of the things mm. that's so interesting about her as uh, as a as a person in history is that she knew the ills and the terrors. And she also had this father figure who she did love and she wrestled with that. And she was very honest about that. That led to her defection uh, when she finally left the USSR in 1967. Now the fun, weird, crazy, um, dare I say bizarre story about Svetlana that got me really interested is, um, you know, she, had come to the uh, United States at, at sort of right in the midst of the Cold War. Um, and she was an instant celebrity. She had a $1.5 million book deal. Her name was in all of the papers. And then she started receiving ovations, letters, telegrams, even gifts. From a very strange, very mysterious woman, all the way from uh, a magical place called Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, <laughs> this woman really wanted Svetlana to come and visit. And her name was Olgivana Lazovich Hinsenberg Lloyd Wright. 
and she was the widow of the deceased famed architect Frank Lloyd Wright. And she really wanted Svetlana to come and visit their desert compound. And this is where Frank Lloyd Wright's disciples, his architects, still lived in communion, making art and having a blast. Um, Sounds a little culty. Well, this, I mean, you could say, one could say that, and one could get in trouble saying that. Um, (laughs) I think that's like, that's a big word. And I've got certainly got in trouble for saying it as well. But pretend you didn't know that word. Pretend you come without judgment. And you okay. show up. You're in the. You've you've fled Soviet Russia, and you are now in the middle of the desert, in the middle of Arizona. And there is a woman named Olga Ivana who believes that you are the reincarnation of her dead daughter because her oh. dead daughter's name was also Svetlana, and Ol- and Svetlana's grandmother's name was Olga, and Olga Ivana actually is Olga Ivanova. And so Frank Lloyd Wright's widow is believes that St- Joseph Stalin's daughter is a reincarnation of her dead daughter and then lures her into her architecture compound and then marries her off to her dead daughter's ex-husband named William Wesley Peters. Um, and so she then becomes Svetlana Peters, not that's Svetlana Peters, not the first one, the second one. So it gets very, it gets, gets, it gets very confusing. This right. whole thing is just an exercise in confusion. And that confusion is what I've spent like close to a decade immersed in. So that's sort of, that's, that's, that's the overarching story. And, and it, it must've been this, I imagine that led, that led you to recognize Svetlana as your greatest muse. Is that, you read about this and you were like, I get it. That's everybody's been in that situation or what, <laughs> well, what spoke I, to you? Well, I think it's kind of the opposite. It's like, I have, I don't get it. I don't get why you would like flee Soviet Russia or only find yourself basically giving up your identity subsumed inside of, you know, a, a, a community where everybody is living and working together. I mean, you left socialism to, you know, become a success in capitalism. And now, you know, her money was drained by it. So now you're giving it all away to be part of this other thing. So I was just mystified by Svetlana. And I think like as a writer, you know, you go, you walk towards characters and stories where you just have like the biggest questions, you know, because if you know the answer, it's kind of like, oh, I know why someone would do that. Like, I know why someone would eat a sandwich, you know, like they're Mm -hmm. hungry. And so there's no story there. Well, actually getting a sandwich can be kind of, a sandwich is pretty good. (laughs) Let's stay on that sandwich guy for a second. No, uh, 100%. (laughs) But do you think maybe you, you ask why, um, going from a socialist country to a commune, which isn't communism exactly, but there is a one-for-all kind of mentality. Do you think there that was a comfortable thing for Svetlana? It wasn't necessarily comfortable, but she did, and she writes about this um, in an unpublished book uh, that we were able to find. She writes about how it wasn't necessarily comfortable, but she recognized it. And that was sort of this... Uh, that recognition was something I'm sure actually, you know, she, when she writes about it, it's, it's in retrospect. So a lot of crazy stuff happened. And so she, uh, that chapter of her life was not one that she looked on fondly, although there are elements, there are amazing things that happen, but at any rate, she's critical of, uh, of Taliesin, which is the name of, uh, the Frank Lloyd Wright fellowship world. Mm. Um, 
Italiesin, which literally means shining brow. Um, for all of your Welsh listeners. Um, oh, good, good. You know, okay. hashtag Welsh listeners, hashtag Welsh. <laughs> um, so, you know, um, I think it was probably like, maybe not comfortable, but like if you're in, I don't know, if you've ever dated someone who sucks and then you go ahead and like, date the same kind of person again and you're like i've learned nothing <laughs> like that was probably her experience like she knew how to be inside of a subservient universe and she was probably kind of tired of it this episode of ridiculous history is brought to you by mint mobile you know ben i gotta say one of the best parts of a spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like man how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> You're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. <laughs> well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. Now, we also know, and this is, I, I hope this isn't too big of a spoiler, but we also know just even from the first episode, from the jump, as they say, that Svetlana is being pursued by a very powerful intelligence agency, uh, which some right, what we would recognize as the KGB. Obviously, we refer to that in English. Do you feel that there was um, a serious threat to her from the KGB? Were they just monitoring her? And if if whether or not that was a real threat, 
did she perhaps feel some sort of sense of protection by entering this this commune out there in, in Arizona? Yeah, I mean, you know, so when she first arrived, so aside from just getting out of uh, Russia, which yeah. is its own insane story, um, which is in episode one, and it's three continents, and it's it's insane. We've got to hear it though. Now that now that you brought it out, Dale, we got to hear just just like a just like some of the high level. The high parts. level. Oh my god! So she has three husbands in Russia, and then she uh, divorces them all, and then she falls in love with uh, an Indian communist by the name of Brajesh Singh, and she is not allowed to marry him for all sorts of fabulous racist reasons. Um, this is in a period of. Uh, in Russian history called the Thaw. And uh, there's, anyway, Khrushchev doesn't let her marry. But she does uh, marry him spiritually. Um, she feels as though she's married to him. And, and I there's some questions whether they actually got married in a church or not. Um, but at any rate, she considers him her husband. And, um, uh, and then he dies. And where the Soviet government was not going to let her uh, marry him, they do let her go to his Indian village um, called Kalankar, Kalankankar at the floor of the Ganges River in India. And this will be the first time that Svetlana has ever left Soviet soil. So she has been pushed around by the Soviets a lot in her life. Uh, she has two kids, um, but she's, okay, she's going on a trip to India and that's all she thinks about. She lands in India, and she thinks she's going straight to this village, straight to meet uh, Singh's family. But instead, she's holed up in a hotel room with no telephone for two weeks. She's pushed around. She really is like, uh, she's up to here. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. mean, and, and listeners, I am gesturing to my neck. Um, so, <laughs> you know, that's, I mean, you don't want to get a Soviet up to here. So she finally makes it to the Ganges sprinkles her lover's ashes, um, and she is feeling so at peace in India. She wants to stay there. Uh, but they, the, the Soviets want to get her back. She is still Stalin's daughter. She still is a totem. She still means something. And so she kind of now just wants to, you know, get out of there. Um, and so she toys around with various places to go, finally lands on America. It happens to be like a day or two before she's supposed to leave. She sneaks out of her hotel room. She hails a cab and she goes straight up to the U.S. Embassy and she says, my name is uh, Svetlana Alieva. I'm Joseph Stalin's daughter and I want to defect to the United States of America. What ends up happening from that moment is batshit or um, <laughs> feces. I don't know what you're saying because... She ends up being flown. The, the U.S. doesn't want her because they're in the middle of an arms deal with Russia. So she ends up being flown to Rome, but then the Romans don't want her. So she's never actually allowed to touch Roman soil. So she sits in like this weird apartment for a while. And then they fly her off to, um, to Switzerland. But while she's, the paparazzi is all over her. She's stuck in Switzerland. And then she finally makes it all the way to, uh, uh, to the U.S. Sunday, um, where she arrives this instant celebrity. All the while smuggling this memoir um, of life growing up under Stalin called 20 Letters to a Friend, which winds up being the way that she gets into the U.S. under a work visa. Um, it's an even nuttier story than that. So I am going to say, like, listen, listen to the pod, dude. Um, but, uh, you know, that is like the that's I mean, every chapter of Svetlana's life has these like highs and lows that are just mesmerizing. I mean, she accomplished a lot in her life. 
Well, I mean, you know, you mentioned how doting her father was on her, and there's pictures you can find online of him, like, cradling her when she was, you know, in her, like, early teens or maybe, you know, uh, a little younger than that. But this obviously must have been a huge betrayal or or perceived as that uh, from Stalin. Can you talk a little bit about how he reacted and, um, you know, what this was like and how it kind of upped the stakes? Yeah, I mean, well, he was very dead at the time, but I'm sure that he was pissed. Um, but (laughs) (laughs) He's not going to let the scheduling of mortality get in the way. No, What's the timeline there? (laughs) Like, uh, yeah, okay, of course. Uh, Sorry, that was a stupid question. No, not a stupid question. Not a stupid question um, at all. Um, Yeah, because also, like, while Stalin may have been dead, Stalinism certainly did not die. Um, And... So, you know, Stalin dies in 1953, as famously depicted in The Death of Stalin. Um, and uh, it's it's 1967 when Svetlana makes her way over to the United States. I might be getting, if it's 67 and 68 when she, it's either 67, 68 or 66, 67. Um, You're but doing it's, better than me. I didn't even know Stalin was dead. <laughs> well, well, to your defense, though, that like that was a closely guarded secret, as we That's know from also the film. That's also very true. Death yes. of Stalin. Yeah. Yes. Okay, we got point. the reference they, in. We were they, talking they, about that off air. They got me. They tricked me. That's I, I blame the Soviets. But, yes. the, but the original question was, you know, the KG, the threat of the KGB. And, mm-hmm. yeah. um, you know, so the KGB was definitely involved in all aspects of Svetlana's life, who she could marry, where she could go, who she could be friends with. Um, and certainly after she left, you know, we don't talk about this much in the podcast. Excuse me. I just burped on a podcast. First time for everything. Ring the bell. Maybe not the last. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, one one of the unintended consequences of Svetlana leaving was that she had a lot of very close friends. And Svetlana also partied down with all of the dissidents. She was interested in people of all walks of life. She was interested in artists and writers and academics and thinkers. And so when she left, the people who... Um, who were really targeted were um, were her close friends who also didn't have a lot of capital themselves to sort of stay out of the limelight. So there's this fascinating, I mean, this is a ridiculous history I'm sure I, I that I offer because I would love to know more about her. There is this um, half black, half Jewish tennis champion ethnomusicologist named Lily Golden, who was Wait, a good stop, hyphenate let, right there. Let, yeah, yeah. let me stop on Lily real quick, because one thing I love about the, um, the natural course of this story is that at points, it does sound like Mad Lib improv. Yeah. You know, like we're pulling from a hat. Uh, so could you give us the rundown of, of this person again, their descriptors? So this is Svetlana's, who I believe Svetlana's best friend is, who she refers to as Bertha in her book, um, which is a great chosen name, but her name was Lily Golden. And Lily was, um, her parents were both American. They were socialists. Her, uh, her father was black. Her mother was Jewish. I guess during like, uh, you know, the, at at some point, like during a red scare in the thirties, they ran off to Russia had Lily, she became like a Soviet tennis champ and then became like an ethnomusicologist and what and then became Joseph Stalin's daughter's best friend. And she's just one of, you know, you look uh Svetlana was also like dear, dear friends with Tolstoy's grandson, um, and all sorts of really interesting 
people that intersected with history in a lot of fascinating ways. And so these were the people who the KGB targeted, like Lily Golden, mm. like wasn't able to get on a flight after Svetlana defected. And certainly Svetlana's children. She left a 20-year-old son and a 16-year-old daughter. Um, and uh, she didn't give them any warning. They found out <laughs> like uh, uh, from the KGB that their, that their mother had defected. So they were also targeted and watched. And that was a horrible unintended consequence um, that, you know, for Svetlana to flee, you know, she, she did leave people sort of vulnerable. And then, you know, there's uh, stories that we hear and, and they don't feature so heavily in our podcast and not because they weren't true, but they're sort of hard to verify. There was uh, shortly after she had come to the United States, she was staying at the house of uh, George Kennan, who was uh, an ambassador to Russia during Stalin's era. And Kennan was considered the architect of the Cold War. Um, he is a major figure in history. And he kind of became Svetlana's godfather when she arrived in America. And so he is no longer alive. He's just as dead as Stalin is. Um, but his daughters are very much alive, Joan and Grace. And I got to uh, have a couple of Zooms with Joan and Grace, uh, who each had wow. wild stories. And they're like, uh, they both had very different uh, relationships with Svetlana. Joan was like buddy, buddy. Grace had this like, um, uh, Svetlana sort of treated her a little bit like the maid. Um, so it was funny to hear like the different experiences. But both Grace and Joan told me that while Svetlana was staying with them, on one day in particular, you know, this farm in the middle of central Pennsylvania, um, all of a sudden these men in black coats just started like coming to the door and knocking on it. And they asked if Svetlana was there and, um, and then quickly like, fled back. So Svetlana was always sort of haunted by the prospect of KGB agents. And certainly um, later in the podcast, we're going to get to a period of time where Svetlana gets wrapped up in a KGB plot, which is on internet and in history and certainly featured in Rosemary Sullivan's amazing book, Stalin's Daughter, which everyone should read. But I'm not going to spoil it for our podcast. You'll have to tune in. Not not yet. You have to go on the ride with us. Also, uh, also peek behind the curtain. Uh, the, not iron the curtain. Not the iron nah. one yet. Just our curtain. <laughs> but we, I know we got to get to the iron curtain, but uh, uh, peek behind the scenes then. Uh, folks, we also here at Ridiculous History, we don't know uh, how all the story shakes out. We are going to be riding along with you, but I like, I like where you're going with that, Noel, because we talked about it a little off air. There's a thing, there's a part where you describe, Dan, and, um, you describe Svetlana as like the most famous defector, at least as far as as the Western world is concerned, which makes sense. You know, it's it's the daughter of a ruler, basically. Uh, but what what was the typical? I don't know. What's the best way to phrase this, Noel? What do, what do we need to know about the Iron well, I mean, Curtain? Maybe just a little scene setting for the yeah. time um, as to what it would have meant um, to be a defector uh, and why maybe someone less famous than Svetlana would have defected and just what relations were like and kind of this historical period we're talking about. Yeah. I mean, I want to say that like when it comes to, I just want to preface my own ignorance, um, which I think is important in life. Um, I know a bit but That's not, our whole but, thing on this show. So I want to preface my own ignorance and also my own subjectivity, right? So I'm coming to this as like 
an American who was like schooled in the fact that like America is good, Russia is bad, America win and Russia is lose, you know. Um, but to be fair, um, there were a lot of terrible things about the Stalinist regime and essentially coming out of life from the czar. So this is going back a little bit. In 1917, uh, or 1916, 1917, um, when the Bolsheviks, the revolutionaries, took power and knocked out the czars, people's lives were really, really terrible. Nicholas had consolidated power um, in a way that like gave such little freedom to the average Russian. Um, and they were, I mean, the peasant, they they were starving, um, they were uneducated. Even though they were they were very literate, but there there was not schooling, and it was it was a very horrible place to grow up, um, and so the Bolsheviks really wanted to share the wealth, and I have to say, like as like you know as a lefty progressive uh, socialisty kind of kind of person, I'm like that's awesome, but what ended up happening is. Um, in order to lead, you know, more than a hundred countries with more than a hundred languages, and uh, and uh, consolidate like the USSR, um, they really everyone had to. They realized the way to do it is through you know fascism. Well, not fascism really, but like totalitarianism and falling behind one big face, and that one big face was Stalin, and um, that was built by Stalin and also by his Politburo. So there's all these people um, who are featured hilariously in Death of Stalin, who are also like the reason that we know Joseph Stalin and that we think communism is really bad because there was, the currency was betrayal. If you were a dissident, if you spoke out against the government, you were sent to the gulags, you were killed, your family was watched, they were killed. Um, and not to mention the fact that they're just also, it was, a, there were a lot of people. There was a shit ton of people. And so in order to make sure that there was like a potato for everybody, uh, Stalin made sure there was a potato for sometimes nobody. So there were just famines everywhere um, in order to like make sure that Moscow was able to lead this, uh, this co the, uh, communism for the first time. So it was 1984. It was Neighbors spying on neighbors. Information was this currency that you could use against people. Um, and so even folks who uh, who made it inside of the government were subjected to this. And so you see it in Death of Stalin, but you also see it inside of Stalin's own family. So Svetlana's uncles and aunts are subject to um, being locked up in the gulag or even murdered. Um, Svetlana's brother, um, her older brother, who she loved the most, um, named Yakov, enlisted in, uh, in the Russian army during World War II. He was captured by a POW camp when Svetlana was 16 in 1942, and Stalin was given the option to trade for him, and Stalin was like, no, definitely not. I don't want anyone thinking that I treat my family any differently, and Yakov was mm. murdered in the POW camp. Um, you know, and you know, that's something, maybe there's some honor there, maybe maybe there's not, but you just get the sense that, um, you know, Stalin was, uh, there was paranoia, there was uh, vindictiveness, and the country was sort of ruled out of, for you know, for better or for worse, it was ruled out of his image and his likeness to the point where when he dies, there's like, uh, there's, I, I forget how many people wound up being, killed but like there was a uh a march you know in honor of stalin um 
but there's there was some traffic jam and like thousands of people were killed in this what? traffic jam and it wasn't even a protest against him it was just like these people are everywhere kill them um and so it's something really hard to imagine but what's fascinating about also such a suppressive government is that nothing breeds art like suppression and there are artists who are making work, who are smuggling stories out, um, not on mass. I'm not saying that mm -hmm. like, I'm not saying that it's like, oh, there's like all this great Soviet era dissident art, like there isn't, but there, but people were writing things as they said for the drawer. So Svetlana was one of them. She wrote this memoir about growing up under Stalin's rule and coming to terms with the fact that her horrible was that her horrible, uh, oh, yeah, that her horrible was you know <laughs> a father, um, and. That to me is also really interesting, you know, that like there's a resilience amongst the Russian people for, you know, centuries of creating, creating art in these extreme circumstances. And that is, that is also part of the story. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. <laughs> well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avala Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. 
It's interesting, too, just that whole concept, and Casey Pegram would be happy with this uh, topic. Um, You know, filmmakers, for example, like Tarkovsky, you know, were getting financing from the government uh, to make these films that were supposedly in service of the state, you know, in terms of the image that they were projecting. But secretly, there were these hidden messages, you know, in films like Stalker or even the Solaris that that were kind of patently anti uh, Russia, uh, and, and they eventually kind of caught on and then he had to get out of Dodge as well. Yeah. I mean, well, and that's also, you know, and, and that's where Tartakovsky is when, is he the fifties? Sixties, like, like through the seventies. I mean, through, yeah. you know, yeah. Into the eighties. Sorry. You even think of like Milos Forman, who was, you know, in, uh, he was, who is Czech, I think, or I forget, but like, even our modern filmmakers were still running away from it and like inserting their messages inside. And, and um, yeah, I mean, it, it, there's a kind of bravery that I, you know, that as an American artist um, in the 21st century, you know, that I take it, in my, in my enclaves of freedom, there's, there is pushback and there are people who don't like your work. Um, but I haven't experienced uh, that that kind of suppression coming at me and finding those ways to still get my voice and my story out there. And so, I, you know, I look to those writers and those artists um, with real admiration. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, how well said, because that's something where, you know, it always strikes me. One of my old professors a long time ago, uh, I don't want to say how long ago, told me that, uh, told me that it, it would, how did they put it? They said, you know, I've always found it hilarious that Russian authors are better writers in English than most English authors. And that's, and that's because many times they had a life on the line situation. Like one could die or be erased for the, the sin of creative expression. Doesn't Russian prose also like translate really well into English in a, in a sort of unusual or uncanny way? It's an way? art form, man, mm-hmm. for sure. I mean, all translation is. And fellow ridiculous historians, I think uh, Noel, you and Max and I are we're we're having a little bit of a tough time with this because we don't like we don't know the the strokes of the story that have yet to been have been told. Uh, and we're having a hard time not asking for spoilers. Exactly. Right. So we have to say, you know, this is something that a lot of a lot of people are not aware of. And it's so strange to realize, you know, how close history is to the present and how many, you know, to look back and say, okay, the most famous defector in the world at the time. And now, you know, when I first heard about this story, it was through your podcast. And I, I thought, okay, who is Fetlana? I didn't even know, you know, I had I I understood that Joseph Stalin, Joseph Stalin was a bad guy, you know, but that was like my Wikipedia paragraph level yeah. knowledge. Well, interesting enough, when Svetlana defects in India, she goes up to, you know, she goes up to the, um, to a Marine uh, at the U.S. Embassy, and she's like, I'm Joseph Stalin's daughter. And they're like, does Joseph Stalin have a daughter? (laughs) They didn't know. I mean, it's like, they didn't know then. We don't know now. Um, You know, I find myself to be really grateful to be part of like a small group of people who are excited by 
the story of Joseph Stalin's daughter. So plugging Rosemary Sullivan and her book, Stalin's Daughter, plugging Roger Friedland and Harold Zellman's book, The Fellowship, which covers Taliesin and, and, the, uh, and their encounter with Svetlana. Um, but also like just two days ago, I got a DM because now I'm on Instagram. I know. Um, oh, I know. flex. Yeah, just welcome. It's, uh, yeah, you know, it's just this thing I do. Um, but I got a DM from like a playwright in uh, San Francisco who was like, I love your podcast. I wrote a play that had Svetlana in it years ago. And so oh, there's wow. this like, you know, I'm not, I am not the first person to be interested in Svetlana, but we are like a small little tribe. And it's really fun to, you know, be meeting people who also encountered her or, uh, or also think that the story is worthy. So, oh, and also a huge plug to the first article that I ever read about it, um, which is by a guy named Nicholas Thompson, who was, who was a, uh, a freelance writer at the time and now is the editor-in-chief of The Atlantic magazine, which is really cool. And I got to meet him. You know, it's like, it's like, oh my God, like everybody loves Svetlana. Um, so, <laughs> and, and now we party. have jo- we have joined that tribe. You We're- are in it. You are Svetlana <laughs> Knights. Here we go. Svetlana Knights. And, and we want... We want you. Uh, we want you to check out this show too, folks, because uh, I think it's safe to say that Dan tells the story in a unique way, in a way that uh, personally I never could. Uh, so, along for the ride, uh, Dan. Can you tell people where to learn more about your work? Uh, where to where to find you? Perhaps on that shiny new Instagram, <laughs> uh, and uh, and can you tell people uh, maybe where to find the podcast as well? Yeah, so the podcast is called Svetlana Svetlana. Uh, the name's so nice. We say it twice, and it's got exclamation points after each name because uh, I'm loud. Um, and <laughs> uh, and you can find that on iHeartRadio, the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Instagram at Dan Stories. Um, and uh, more about my work, I have. Um, I'm working on the adaptation of Edouard Louis' uh, memoir, History of Violence, that was just announced. And it's a beautiful, powerful memoir. Um, and that's going to be shot at the end of this year. It'll be in German. Um, and oh, so, wow. that, so that'll be a thing. Um, and I don't speak Double. German. I don't speak German, but someone's translating it. And I'm, I'm going to imagine that they're going to do a, a decent job. Um, and what else am I doing? I don't know. I do a lot of theater. I moved to Philly, and um, which is my hometown. And I'm just uh, excited to like meet other writers and theater artists who are just trying to like understand the universe by bringing us all together through stories. So um, I'd like to connect to people and say hi, and you can DM me. And my husband, Jordan, is getting me to respond. So, you know, if you don't hear from me, Jordan is saying, Dan, respond. And I'm saying, yes, I will. <laughs> and then he's saying, no, are you going to do it now or later? Um, and he's probably listening to me right now because he's downstairs. And I love him very much. <laughs> and just he's a part of this. So if you're messaging me or messaging Jordan, you know, and that's, that's your choice. Well, um, I, for one, I'm excited to dig in to the podcast. I think what is it, episode three is publishing round about the time of this episode five, episode oh, five. Wow. So okay. we are, we are five of 10 and then we're going to take um, a week off and then we'll be back with, uh, with, with uh, six, seven, eight, nine and 10 um, if afterwards. Chronologically. Well, I can only imagine it probably ends on a pretty, or there's a cliffhanger there. So I, I'm excited to, to experience that for myself as well. Um, 
thanks again for for joining us and and sharing Svetlana's story with us and uh, and the world. Dan Kit Roster, uh, Svetlana, Svetlana. Uh, you can find it anywhere, as Dan said. Uh, we want to thank you, Dan. And we also want to thank our super producer, Mr. Max Williams. We got to thank the one and only Casey Pegram. You know, I'm, so, I'm so glad that like, we can't get away from him. No, we can't. We can't get away from Casey. Casey is perpetually on the case well, even when we're he, not around. Yeah, he can't get away from us, I guess, if we're being fair, because <laughs> we're probably the pursuers in that in that relationship. But uh, but uh, thank you uh, to everybody tuning in. We'd love to hear your opinions of the show. Yeah, and if you want to give us your opinions, uh, we're still in kind of social media limbo for the show, but you can find me and Ben and Max as individuals. I am exclusively an Instagrammer. Uh, you can find me at How Now Noel Brown. And I'm calling myself in a burst of creativity at Ben Bolin on Instagram and at Ben Bolin HSW on Twitter. Uh, that's where you can get a behind the scenes look at the various uh, ill-advised secret projects and misadventures I'm always cooking up. Uh, as Elon Musk would say, the biggest advantage of Twitter, of course, is that Max Williams is on it. And that's where you can find it. Yes, you can find my technically not dead Twitter account at ATL underscore Max Williams. There it is. More sports metaphors for for the people. Ooh, from, bring uh, it from, home. From half ha, half time it. No, a home Max run Dubs. It. That's my new nickname for you. Curl Max, it. You, yeah. Get it in the hole. There we go. Do do the do the sports. Ah, we do so well. Dunk. Do the sports. That's it. That's all. Yeah, <laughs> it's a that's slam all anybody dunk. can ask for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. <laughs> we will see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.